Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Afternoon, church. Uh, if you're new with us, I want to introduce myself. My name is Aaron. I've got the great pleasure of being the pastor here. And we just jumped into a brand new series and we're looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you guys aren't there, um, we unpacked last week um, this idea of spiritual blessings. If you're a Christian, uh, we talked about what are these things called blessings that God gives us in our life. And so last week we unpacked three of those. And that's like part one of a three-part message that we're doing uh, talking about these spiritual blessings. So if you're taking notes, if you'd like to take notes, uh, our message is called Blessed Beyond Belief. And so as we get started, I wanna ask you a question. Um, have we ever talked with a child um, who just returned from Disney World or any big vacation? Think about talking to a little kid and you're getting the information about that trip. Uh, I did this with my uh, five little nephews in my life. You ask them about their trip and they start telling you everything that they did with so much hype and so little organization. Like you hear them talk about it, like I saw a Mickey and then we rode teacups and then I flew in an airplane and then we ate some waffles and then I, I went swimming and then I saw grandma and then I watched some movies. I wore Mickey ears and it was so awesome, right? Have you talked talk to a kid and you hear that information from their trip? Well, it, it's hard to kind of have an outline of what they're sharing, but you can tell they had the time of their life, right? Well, that's kind of what the beginning of Ephesians feels like. Uh, the author, Paul, introduces himself using that really powerful imagery of being in Christ. You guys remember that from last week where Paul talked about himself being in Christ and then he wrote to people that were in Ephesus. You guys remember? And he says that even though you're in Ephesus, you want your life to be shaped by being in Christ and not in your job or in your city or in a relationship, right? He gives that imagery. And then what he does is he takes an unusually long run-on sentence, which is a praise from him that he begins in verse three and he says this, he says this. He says, blessed, meaning praise, be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, and here's our key word, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on for 11 more verses exploding about all of the blessings that God shows us and he gives us in a relationship with him. Guys, in fact, most English translations don't show it, but in the original Greek language uh, in which this letter was written in, verses three through 14 are one long theologically rich sentence where Paul is presenting one cascading description of God's work in Christ after another, after another, after another. And with each new description, he's providing further explanation about what God has done to bless us. And it's better than someone telling us about the wonders of Disney World because it's someone telling us about the wonders of God and what it is to be blessed in a relationship with him. In fact, that's what the entire book of Ephesians is about. It's Paul unpacking blessing after blessing after blessing about what it's like to be in a relationship with God and then what that means for your everyday life. And so again, last week in part one of this message, we asked the question, what are those spiritual blessings that are in Christ? 
And so what we did, we unpacked and we saw three things last week, didn't we? Verse four and six, we saw three things. We saw that God, number one, lovingly chose us through election. Number two, forgave us through his crucifixion. And number three, brought us into his family through adoption. Election, crucifixion, adoption. Why did he do that? We learned so that we may live lives of flourishing and benefit by living according to his design and for his glory. And so this week in part two of our message, we'll see just this week, we're, guys, we're just gonna see one huge blessing. And guys, the implications for this blessing is like earth shattering. And if you and I can grasp this at like a heart level, it changes everything for you. It, it changes your mindset when you go to work, how you view relationships, how you deal with failures and trials. It deals with everything. If we can grasp this one high view of this blessing, it affects everything. So this week, we're gonna take a deep dive into one blessing that Paul calls redemption. If you're a part of a church background or you've been with us often, you might hear that word redemption. And so we kind of just leave it in a church context or a Sunday context. But what does that word mean? And how does it affect you Monday through Saturday? So guys, that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see three things today from that one idea of redemption. We're gonna see three things. We're gonna see how redemption heals our past, how redemption shapes our present and how redemption changes our future. All right, you guys ready for that? Is that good? So I wanna give you kind of an outline here. So let's do this by unpacking verses seven through 10. And I'm gonna provide some commentary through this as I read this. So let's start in verse seven and let's unpack this grand, massive idea of redemption. Verse seven, Paul says, in him we have, and then here's the blessing that we're gonna unpack today. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Which means, as Paul explains, one dimension of it here, he says, here's what it means, one dimension. It's the forgiveness of our trespasses. Meaning that Jesus has graciously absolved the penalty or he's canceled the debt we owe to God by violating his commands. And listen, God did this for us. We keep reading. God did this for us according to the riches of his grace. I can't wait to unpack that briefly here in a little bit. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we'll pause there. Guys, I love how Paul unpacks this blessing for us this week. Guys, did you notice the sequential structure of how he unpacked it? If you didn't notice it, that's totally okay. That's part of my job is to help you guys see how he packaged this so we could unpack it for your life. I want you to see this, guys. He starts out in verse seven, he names the blessing. And just say it back to me. What's the blessing we're unpacking this week? Redemption, right? That's the name of the blessing. But then he talks about the avenue how do you get this blessing? What's the avenue? And he says it's through Jesus's blood. And then he says, that's the avenue to get there, but what's the result of this blessing? And he says, it's the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that word forgiveness is a wonderful umbrella, extensive word, meaning God's forgiven everything in the past, everything in the present, and everything you'll do in the future. The blessing's redemption. The avenue is through his blood. What, is it, what does it result in? The forgiveness 
of everything we've ever done. Please pause there for a moment. If you feel far from God, maybe you just started to return back to church or maybe something this week just didn't go the way you hoped it would go. You said things, you did things, you made choices and you just feel kind of uh, about yourself. This, this passage reminds us that God's forgiveness is available to everyone. It's not just allotted for the religious elite. In fact, Christianity is about God giving a gift to broken people like me. And so we learn in this passage that no matter what you did this past week in your marriage, no matter what you said to your children, no matter what you looked at online, no matter what you stole, no matter how you lied, no matter what you're harboring in your heart, God looks at you and he doesn't say, clean yourself up. I can't, I can't believe you. God leans down and he said, I've, I've made an avenue. I've made a way for you. And he gives you a redemption, forgiveness, clean slate, washing away. Guys, we're gonna unpack this more, but I want you just to begin to see this structure. That's the result. But what's the motive of this blessing? Did you guys notice it? It says this, the blessing is this, or the motive is this. It's the riches of God's grace, the riches in which he lavished upon us. Uh, guys, you're, we're living in Boston. Uh, currently, we're Coa Brighton in Newton in Boston. Um, but we're one of the most wealthiest cities in the nation. And sometimes there's a correlation between wealth and not generosity, but wealth and stinginess, right? We kind of see that connection. You think if you have more, wouldn't you want to give more? In this passage, it talks about God is rich with something called grace and he lavishes it on us. I'll give an illustration in a little bit as we unpack that, but I want you just to think about the lavish, continual, forever, unconditional love and forgiveness of God, meaning you can't sin or run your way out of a relationship with God. You might've had someone that broke up with you because they couldn't handle you anymore. You had a family member, maybe God forbid, a, a parent or a guardian that walked out on you or wasn't there for you and their relationship ran out. No matter how far you run from God, his grace will never run out for you. This is beautiful that we see about God's love for us. That's the motive. And then we see the structure end here with this benefit. It says this, it talks about receiving God's wisdom and insight through his word for our flourishing and being reconciled and unified with God, with himself now and throughout eternity. Name, avenue, result, motive, and benefits. And that's before we get into any points this week. I just want you to see that there is a lot this author wants you to understand. God through Paul wants you to understand something about him so that it affects everything about you. So let's look at the first one together. How does redemption heal our past? How does it affect the hurt that we've experienced, the choices that we've made? What does redemption have to do with that? Look at verse seven again. It says, in him, meaning this, in a relationship with Jesus, we have this gift called redemption. And it comes to the avenue of his blood. We can't earn it. We can't vote for it. We can't be moral enough to acquire this. God gives it through the avenue of his death for us. It's the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the motive of his riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So let's unpack. What does that word redemption actually mean? Because guys, it's beautiful. It has its roots in two ideas I wanna share with you. 
two ideas. The Old Testament idea comes from the idea of this covenant relationship. Redemption has this idea of a covenant relationship that not only are you forgiven, but you belong. Not just, okay, I forgive you of your sins. We're just kind of make peace and I kind of just go a different direction. Redemption carries this idea of an Old Testament covenant where not only forgive you, but you belong with me. The second idea is this idea that they gathered from the ancient marketplace. And both instances involve the idea of purchasing or buying back some item or a person that otherwise was lost, taken prisoner, or destroyed. This language was then adapted by worshipers of God out of the marketplace into the church to explain what God does. And they used it primarily in the Old Testament talking about how God redeemed a people that was in slavery in Egypt and then brought them out of that into a covenant relationship with himself. So redemption has two ideas, covenant relationship, I forgive you and then you belong. And then it carries this idea that I'm, I'm buying you out of a set of circumstances that are horrible for you. And this is the beauty of what we see here. So guys, here's the fundamental idea that we're getting from redemption right at the beginning. Here's what it is. Redemption is this. It's the releasing of a person to freedom who was once captive, distressed, and helpless. And my friends, that's exactly what Paul is saying that God has done for me and that God has done for you. He has released us to freedom from captivity, which means he's released us from sin's grasp, its destruction, and its penalty. See guys, installed uh, into the consciousness of every person in humanity, we have this disjointed collection of values and ethics and standards. And guilt is the feeling we experience when we don't perfectly hold up to those values, ethics, and standards that we have in us. And that's what Romans 3 is telling us. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fall short of God's standard or his glory. But here's the kicker. We not only fall short of God's standard for human living, but we are chained to our own broken standards that we think will bring us joy or happiness or fulfillment or power or comfort in this life. And these standard pathways always lead us to captivity, distress, and helplessness. Guys, don't we see that? When God's talking about redemption, he's saying that we are a people, humanity is a people that is in some sort of distress. We're in some sort of captivity. Well, what does it mean, right? We live in a free country, right? We make our free choices, right? But if you think about that for a moment, if you and I are bound by our free choices and we think the choices we make are perfect without God leaning in, giving us wisdom, then those freedom is actually bondage because then we're in charge of our lives, aren't we? We have to make the perfect decisions. We have to find the perfect spouse or we've got to live the perfect single life. We've got to make the most money. We've got to be perfect with our jobs. And the freedom of everything becomes bondage. And you and I think sometimes that we know the perfect way to live. And so we're, we're, we're striving after success or money or relationships in order to give us value or worth. And God's saying, I see you in your chains. You're running after more freedom, but you actually find yourself in more bondage. Guys, what's that look like for you in your daily life? Where do you find yourself in some sort of metaphorical chain or captivity or struggle where you're trying to work your way out of sadness. And so you're going on more adventures. You're trying to avoid your emotions. And so you maybe drink too much or smoke too much. 
What does that look like? How are we trying to avoid that? And God is saying on top of it all, I have redemption. I want to bring you up out of that struggle and I want to bring you to myself and give you a good life in me according to my ways for human flourishing. And that's what we're beginning to understand when we see this passage. And so it's through this passage in verse seven that tells us that we have been set free from sin's grasp and it's shame when we do wrong and it's penalty through the blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross to remove that and to purchase your freedom. See, in God's economy, sin requires sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, he said. This is Hebrews 9 and Leviticus 17. They tell us this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But rather than our blood, as our punishment for sin, here's what Christ did in his grace. Jesus fulfilled the need expressed through the Old Testament sacrificial system. His death means that blood has been shed, but it's a sacrifice to cover our debt. The sacrifice is thus the meaning of redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sin involved the bondage of the mind and the will of the body, but forgiveness is all about freedom. It literally means it's the loosing of a person from that which binds them. And Jesus is telling in this passage, you're free now to pursue fulfillment in me and not your job. You are free now to find a higher love than a dating relationship or a marriage. You're free now to find satisfaction and joy, not in sex or romance or pornography or too much alcohol after work. We're able to work differently with our problems and find our joy in the fact that we're in relationship with God and that will end us up in heaven for all of eternity one day where all of the troubles of life will go away. Redemption is something that deeply affects how we navigate our past, our sin, our shame. Some of us in this room, you're carrying shame and guilt. Like every time before communion, you're just thinking, God, I just pray again for your forgiveness for the same thing I did week after week after week. And you think God is just standing at you distant, angrily at you for keep sinning it over and over. Guys, he lavishes his grace. And he's saying, you're set free now. You don't have to go to pornography to find your value, to find your escape from your struggle, to help you cope with hard things, to find excitement since it's not there in your marriage or in your dating life. And so now we don't have to go to the same places. We're actually set free. We're loosed. We're free to find that fulfillment in God and not in something or someone else. Do you guys see that? This sets you on a new path. When you understand that redemption means forgiveness and belonging and that belonging allows you to not go back to the same sins over and over that end up hurting you and others. This is the goodness of God for us in Christ. Because of Jesus' blood, the penalty for sin has been paid. You have been released from sin's penalty, from its shame, and from its grasp. Let me briefly just go into that for a quick second. I want to just talk about you've been released from God's penalty. Uh, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 2. It says this, God made you, if you're a Christian, to be alive together in him. He's forgiven all of our trespasses, past, present, and future by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with God with its legal demands of perfection. And what he did, he set it aside on himself and he nailed it to the cross where he was. So if you're carrying sin and guilt, why are you carrying it? It was carried for you. 
so that you don't have to carry it any longer? Why are you holding something that's not yours to hold? He knew you would do that. He knew you would say that. And so that's why you see this picture in the New Testament of Jesus carrying the guilt, carrying the shame of what we did so that you wouldn't have to hold it. So whatever you're struggling with internally, maybe your spouse doesn't know, your friends don't know, maybe there's an attraction or a struggle or something going on. I I want you to see that we're, we're a church of broken people and we can come to each other in brokenness because we belong. We belong to a father that's generous and gracious and kind and understanding and will forgive us and then empower us to not return to that place anymore. So maybe this week in community group, you might need to talk about what is that place that you're holding on to guilt and shame? Because if you're holding it and feeling that experience, it's not meant for you. You can pass that on to Christ and his forgiveness is for you. That's the penalty that we're freed from. We're also freed from shame. Do you guys know he, uh, Romans 8.1 says this beautiful truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God's arms are not like this for you. They were like this for you so that you could be brought into his family. Guys, this is powerful truth. If you understand how God sees you and views you and feels about you in Christ, it allows you to go away from things that are not honoring to him and not good for you. And then last, we say we're set free from sin's grasp. Romans 6, 18 says this, you have been set free from sin and now have become bond servants to righteousness. Guys, literally to be a Christian is to say, you know what? There are certain things in this life that are no longer enticing to me, or I know that if I do them, they're not gonna be fulfilling to me. So for me, I know that if I look at pornography or cheat on my wife or steal money, at the end, what they promised me, those sins, what they promised me, I know that they won't fulfill me because what will fulfill me is in Christ. So that I know that these certain sins in my life that my heart may have a proclivity towards or my, my lips may want to lie or whatever it is, I know that those things won't fulfill me. So whatever those temptations is to be a Christian is to know I've been set free from the things. I may choose to do those in sin, which we should all kind of turn from, but I'm free to not pursue those things anymore because I know that, that the, the promise of temptation never pays off, never once. And that's what we've been set free from. We don't have to pursue those any longer. The Bible says specifically, Galatians 5.13, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not all, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Guys, this forgiveness that Paul says is according to the riches of his grace. Do you guys remember that part? According to the riches of his grace. What does that mean? Guys, this grace is so rich that it's beyond our human understanding and it's infinitely beyond Jeff Bezos and whatever financial dollars are out there. It's beyond any earthly wealth. Guys, six times in this letter, the apostle Paul speaks of the riches of God, how it's revealed, how it's made available and how it's through a faith relationship with Jesus. And I love how excited he gets about God's grace here because he talks about it twice back to back. And guys, you know, I love Paul because he loves some run-on sentences and so do I. Guys, check this out, verse seven. In him, we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Man, I love this concept. That Greek verb for lavished here expresses a super abundance. It literally means super abundance. It's a powerful word. It's super abundance of God's giving. It's this picture. It's the overflowing like a fountain from a deep and abundant source that never runs out. God's grace is the continual, unconditional, never running out, always pouring out love for you, forgiveness and grace. It's over and over and over and over. And you almost drowned in the amount of love and grace that he's lavished on you. Guys, sometimes I get this illustration and I think I've shared this before, but you know, we've got um, uh, Halloween right around the corner uh, where uh, a lot of us sort of either remember from kids or you give out candy now to your neighbors who dress up in costumes, right? That come to your house or your apartment or maybe a, a, a community center around the city and everyone's dressed up and you see these kids sometimes and they bring this tiny, tiny little bucket, and people are trying to put their candy in there for the kids. And they're trying to walk around <laughs> and holding all of the candy that they have for the night. And they're stuffing it in their pockets. Stuff, if they have a little, you know, front pocket, they're putting it in there. They're putting it in their pants, putting it in their shoes. And they're just so much candy that it's flowing out everywhere. They can't hold all of it because it's so much. And if you look at those kids, they have the biggest smile on their face because they're like, I'm going to eat this forever and lose all of my teeth. And then mom and dad are excited because they sneak that candy when the kid's asleep. Don't act like you don't, parents, because I do, right? You're picturing that kid, it's lavish. It's so much that it changes the way they walk. You guys know what I'm saying? Changes the way that they walk because of how lavish. Guys, imagine if you understood the grace and lavish love of Jesus, how differently would your walk with him be? How would that affect you? if you knew how deeply God cared when you sinned the worst or when you're furthest from him, if you know how much he loves you and belongs, then you know what that means? When someone else in your community group sins against you or hurts you or offends you, you can say, hey, listen, I've done the same thing that they did, you know, but I did it to God and he never left me and he forgave me. And he told me through his word how to live differently, how to be freed. And so therefore, friend in community group, I can forgive you. I can stay connected to you because redemption is not just forgiveness, it's also belonging. Guys, you see how that affects everything? We don't just have to bail on relationships. We don't bail on marriages. We don't bail on our kids. We don't bail on each other in a church because redemption changes the way that we walk. The lavish love, the continual, I'm with you. I'm never gonna give up on you. I'm never gonna be ashamed of you. Love of God, it changes the way you walk, changes the way you live. That's the first thing, how redemption changes our past. Number two, how does redemption though shape your present? How does it affect more about today? Look at verse eight and nine again. Talks about redemption. We have it through Christ. And then it says this, in all wisdom and in all insight, verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So it's interesting, Paul is connecting redemption to making known to us the mystery of his will. There's something about that God wants to reveal about himself and our life tucked in this word redemption. At the very beginning of this verse, we see the words wisdom and insight connected to this verse. 
It says, in all wisdom and insight, God makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes. Those two words, wisdom and insight, really help bring clarity to verse nine. Wisdom here is defined as the knowledge which sees into the hearts of things or to know something as it really is. That term insight here means the understanding of things which leads us to action. So with these two words, here's what I'm saying. With these two words, wisdom and insight that's used here, it follows that the wisdom of God is not merely just an intellectual or academic thing. It's also the source of understanding in the details of our daily living. God wants us with wisdom to see the very hearts of things, to have clear eyes about him, ourself, and the world around us. He wants us to have insight, how to take right actions about where we work and where we live and how do we raise our kids and who should I marry and when should I move? What should I do with my money? So many questions about the future. And God says in redemption, he's made mystery clarity. Guys, this this is mind-blowing. Not only did God save you, invite you into his family, But then he sat down and said, hey, let let me show you the way for human flourishing. I know this life is hard. I know this journey through life is challenging. There's gonna be so many things that you're not aware of, but let me give you a pathway called his commands, a pathway known as his character through life. This is God making known his wisdom and insight in a mystery of life. It's himself. God has revealed himself and he has given us his word. Guys, the Bible that you may have on your phone or a tangible copy are 66 books in one giant book known as the Bible. That's God's revelation of himself to us. It's God literally giving us wisdom, which is seeing into the heart of things. What does this really mean? How do I understand why you or why you don't do things, God? And it gives us insight, which means how to take right action. God is giving us these things. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. Guys, so how does redemption shape our present? It means that God has made himself available and accessible to you. That God has given you 66 books of his word. He's given you, which we'll talk about next week, the Holy Spirit, which is his very presence. He's given you the people of God, which are people filled with his presence who have these 66 books. And God wants us to know his will. He literally wants you to know it. He wants you to know what's good for your life what's healthy for your family, how to run your finances. God is not gonna give you every single answer that you want specifically, like, God, should I give $100 or $200 to my family member that's struggling? He's not gonna answer that way, but he will lead your heart towards decisions that are honored to him and good for you. Guys, redemption means that not only does it save you, not only that you belong, but now he's brought you to the table and laid out the map and said, guys, this is the path of human flourishing. When troubles happen and when things go hard and you say, why? God gives you Romans 8, 28. He says, listen, I, I know. I know that you love me and I promise I'm gonna work this all out for good. You can't see it, but I'll work it out for good. And then we're like, how God, how would you work this out for good? How can you work out something so terrible for good? And he's like, look at Jesus. How can the death of someone bring life for everybody else? And if I can bring life from death, then you imagine I can bring that for you too. I can take whatever darkness you have and I can bring it to light. And in the midst of that, we begin to realize, okay, redemption is more than just God saving me from my sin. Redemption means that he's making mystery clarity. So guys, let me ask you, with the clarity God's given in his word through his spirit with his people, 
How often are you spending time in his word with his spirit and with his people? God's made his mystery known. God wants to communicate about himself to you. Once you know the narrative of his love for humanity, have you read that? What's your daily reading in the Bible look like? I know for our church right now, we're finishing up the New Testament. We read the Bible as a church every year. We're trying to finish up the New Testament together. I want to invite you into that. God has given you wisdom and insight clearly for you. And this is the invitation. And guys, God gives this plan for human flourishing known as his Bible. And as you read it, you begin to understand, oh, wait, God, you do have good purposes. What I thought was a fence around my freedom is actually the path for flourishing in my freedom through these commands and through these words. God's not a killjoy. He's trying to protect your joy. So he's telling us to do or not do certain things that's according to the design he made you for. Guys, this is a good God and he's revealed it. So redemption affects your present because you can commune with him. You can read his word. He literally guides your heart and guides your life. This is how probably you came to be a part of our church. You prayed about becoming part of a church plant. My family and I prayed about moving to Boston four years ago. We prayed about foster care and adoption. We prayed and we looked in scripture and God led us through our journey, just like he's leading you in your journeys of life. But the primary way he does that is through his word, through his people, and through his spirit. And if you're not spending time in those three spheres, then the clarity revealed to you will just end up feeling like mystery. How are you doing in your time of reading? How are you doing your time of praying? Are you talking with other Christians about the struggles of your life that maybe God would speak something through them to you? The mystery is now clarity. Question is, are you around the spheres of clarity? Like his word, prayer, and the spirit. Last thing, guys, that we see here. Redemption doesn't just affect your past, present, but it also changes our future. Guys, this is powerful for us because this gives us great hope, guys, when your life sometimes is just terrible. I know we've got family members that have passed away in our church from COVID, loved ones that have passed away from COVID. Some of us have been job displaced in our church. We've had challenges the past year or two in our marriages or with our kids. And we've got to have some hope that this is not all what this life has in store the racism that we've seen, the political upheaval, storming of the Capitol, all of these things we see. Is this, is this what we have to look for for all of eternity or for the rest of your life? And then you die and then there's nothing. Is there more? Is there something about redemption that doesn't just affect past, present, but affects your future? And the great thing is, is in this passage, Paul tells us there's great hope for the future. So let's look at it. It says this, this redemption which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Guys, everything hinges in that verse around the word unite. So it's the idea that redemption has been set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, to bring together that word unite carries the idea of gathering things together and presenting them finally as a whole. It's like a giant jigsaw puzzle, taking the parts and gathering them and presenting them as a whole. 
Uh, the Greek practice was what, that, that this word was derived from was used when you took a column of figures and you added them all up together to get a sum and you would put that at the top and that you would say, this is what it means to unite. It's taking all this, the pieces, putting them together, uniting them underneath the sum. And Christ is taking that concept, giving it through Paul and said, we don't just unite these mathematical figures underneath a sum, we unite it underneath a son, Jesus himself. He's taking every brokenness, every hardship, every person of every nation, tribe, and tongue. God's gathering a people for himself from these nations, from these corners, from these brokenness, and he's uniting them underneath his benevolent care, underneath the son. And that's what he's doing and he's using you to do it. He's united all things in heaven and all things on earth. Do you know what that means if you're in Christ? Then you are also to be a uniter for others to God. My friends, just think about your workplace. Think about your neighborhood for a moment. Think about where you go to school, where you're doing your internship. Where are you? God put you there. He put your spirit in you. He put you there so that you could be a part of this plan where God is uniting people in him everywhere. And so you're a part of this plan to know Christ and to make him known so other people could know Christ and make him known. And God is doing this, uniting people, and he wants you to join in this plan. My friends, if you're in Boston, if you're not just a guest coming in from out of town, but if you're here, God has brought you here to make the gospel known to our friends and neighbors and throughout all of Boston, Boston and beyond. The ideas that's presented in this word unite is restoration, it's unity, and it's submission underneath this kingly benevolent rule of Jesus. Guys, all things were created good in Christ. We know this from the scriptures. All things were created good in him, but through sin, endless disorder and destruction have come in the world. And God's telling us here that in the end, all things will be restored to their intended function. And he'll bring unity by bringing us back into the original purpose that Christ had created us for. Guys, I think the last thing that's most hopeful for me in this passage is when I see all the brokenness in our city, I see brokenness in the uh, foster and adoptive network that I'm a part of. And I see what these little ones have to deal with and what their parents are navigating. And I'm thinking about all the brokenness. And then I'm reading this passage. And I'm thinking that God's gonna restore and unite all things in heaven and on earth. I think, what does that mean? That God will unite everything in heaven and things on earth. What does that mean that he'll do that? Not only, this is for us Christian, listen, we're not only reunited to God, but the things of God will be reunited back to us. Meaning goodness and justice and beauty and wholeness and healing. It will be eternally like stuck to us. We'll be united in God's beauty, his justice, his wholeness. And I thought about how beautiful because one of our dear church members, it's a the part of our church. He just lost his father. His father just passed away this past week. And I'm thinking about this passage. I'm thinking that God is saying that he's uniting all things in him, which means that God's uniting something to us. And so I was able to talk to this person this past week and talk about how he watched his father go through this trial for years, losing part of his mind and 
part of his body, watching him decay and sort of transform from who he knew his dad to be growing up to someone he didn't really recognize when they spent time together. And the hope for this brother in Christ is that his dad knew Jesus. And so Jesus was going to unite back to his dad wholeness and, and, and beauty and healing. God's not just uniting us to him, but God's uniting things of him to us. So if you're in Christ and you're struggling with great things, depression, anxiety, mental illness, and you're thinking, is this, am I stuck here forever like this? Will I always deal with things anxiety? Will I always deal with the baggage from my past because of my friendships or my family? Am I stuck like this? And the answer is no. No. You are redeemed, which means that God sets free all of those things in our life. And he promises either to do it on this earth or in heaven. Do you guys see the beauty of this? That everything that's happened with my own kiddos, the sense of justice that didn't happen for them and their abuse and their hurt. God, one day as they continue to heal and work their way through their own narrative, they're not stuck in that. That God will restore justice where it wasn't. The things of God is now united to them and they're not left in a broken narrative because I have a father who what? Who redeems. Do you see that how it affects your future? It allows you to have hope here and now because you know how it ends. Let me leave you with this last analogy and we'll close in prayer. I've shared this one um, before, but it just happened again the other day with my other child. Uh, we were watching um, a, a movie and um, uh, if you guys seen uh, Finding Nemo, right? We've, we share this sometimes before, uh, but we're watching Finding Nemo as a, as a family. And you remember there's a big shark scene where the shark's gonna like rip Nemo apart and his little buddy Dory and they're gonna die. And I'm thinking like, this is nothing. But for a two-year-old, they're like, oh, the fishy I loved is going to get eaten, right? It's like freaking out. And I'm like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Not a problem. No, daddy, it's going to die. Like, this is bad. Like, hey, no, it's okay. Because why? I know how it ends. We had a totally different experience, her and I. Me, in the struggle of watching this, calm, chilled, lax. I've seen how it ends. I know what happens. She had not seen the end. She's anxious. She's worried. She's trying to control. We need to pause it. We need to fast forward. We need to, she's trying to do something in the midst of it. But if you know how it ends, it affects you in the present. And guys, how it ends for you is that whatever was done against you that was left undone in injustice, God will bring justice to it. If you were hurt, if you were violated, if you were mistreated, abused, neglected, God will bring justice and healing to you he promises that in Christ. Everything that's broken that we see, God will fix it through his justice and his grace, everything. And we are to be uniters to God by sharing the gospel with others. So they have the same hope for their past, their present, and their future. Let's pray together. Mm -hmm.